Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for listening, tuning in. We appreciate everybody that reviews, follows, and shares our content. We appreciate that. That helps our podcast grow, and you don't believe how much it helps us when you smash the five stars. It gets us ranked in search results. More people discover us, and it motivates us to keep creating this high-quality content. So don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. We appreciate that, man. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. So, guys, on this episode, we are going to talk about developing professionalism in the workplace, and we're going to touch upon social media. What is, like, the boundaries for a good social media profile? What can you post? What should you post? And everything in between. So, as nurses, we're professionals, and a lot of our, our care is is basically based off HIPAA regulation, HIPAA, HIPAA guidelines. So we have to be in a professional manner a little bit different than other people. Because we think of other jobs, a lot of times those jobs incorporate or those jobs work around majority of the time numbers, like account numbers. If you think of like finance, you think of like that kind of privacy and that aspect, like your debit card, credit card. In nursing, it's more of like a, a personal privacy where we deal with patients on patients one-on-one. And anything that that we say and we do that's supposed to be kept just with that patient because some people are really health conscious, very self-conscious, and they're in a very bad spot in their life in a hospital. Nobody ever wants to be in a hospital and they feel most vulnerable at that place. And HIPAA basically established guidelines to these vulnerable people to make them, you know, you could say less vulnerable because nobody wants not nobody, but most people do not want their health information out there and nobody wants their health information to spread because that's 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 their privacy, that's their information. Yeah, and especially in a hospital, one more thing, especially in a hospital where they're so vulnerable, they have no control over anything, we should at least give them that privacy and that sense of, of like quality care and that sense of, of safety. And I agree with you completely. And it gets a little bit more tricky when sometimes you have those, you know, patients that one family could know something, another one can't, you know, like I had a scenario where the patient was HIV positive and one sister knew, but the other two sisters didn't know because it was a whole religious thing, meaning, you know, the guy was um, homosexual and they were Muslim and it couldn't be known. And it, it sucks when we have these, you know, situations in place because the patient is dying why are they dying? Because they're immunocompromised and like, you know, his, he's in sepsis. And I can't tell the family the truth of what's happening because only one person knows the truth. So definitely information could get, it gets tricky in nursing, you know? So there's not like the one be all end all and, you know, HIPAA. It's interesting, but nevertheless, we have to develop professionalism in the workplace. And that's what kind of helps us guide. It's like a moral compass for us to guide us throughout all these different experiences and situations that we see as a nurse. Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to like social work. As night shift nurse, we never deal with social workers, right? No. That's a whole complete day shift thing. And I could imagine how beneficial and how valuable they are for, for people that, that work on days. And nightwise, we don't get social work involved unless like a very, very serious or special case because social work you know works on a nine to five schedule for the for the most part so they're gonna be there there for the days that's when the family's there that's when they could make set up meetings and i feel like at nighttime we don't really think of social work we just we just pass on to day shift hey maybe we should get social work involved and that's all we don't really have that appreciation for, for social workers but but they're definitely out there and like I, I completely respect them and i love for what they do because they do a lot of 
the the painstaking hard work and the discussion with the family. And and I love reading their notes because they're we're able to find out what the plan of care is outside of work, whether mm -hmm. they're going to home health, long-term facility, any kind of tricky uh, family situations, they're involved and we're able to kind of read the note and figure it out. So yeah, shout out to Social Work, we love you. Yeah. For developing a professional personality or a professional environment in a workplace, we want to touch upon six things. It's gonna be conflict resolution, ethical thinking, adaptability, leadership, collaboration, and positive attitude. So the first main one is going to be conflict resolution. As, as nurses, well, probably more on days than, than on nights, but we do see a lot of, uh, like Matt said, with the whole HIV patient, a lot of conflict of interest with, uh, with, with families, like especially if someone doesn't have a, um, a direct, dude, I'm losing my train of thought. It's okay. Direct, direct, um, when you people come in hospital and you ask if they want to be code status. Okay, correct. What is that called? Just knowing the code status. No, but there's another word for that. When people have paperwork filled out, we always ask oh, about the admission. Pulsed, right? Hmm? The pulsed. No, it's not what it's called. It, um, direct something. Oh, advanced directives. Advanced directives, yes. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Jeez, but and you're a nurse, huh? I know, right? And okay. um, some people don't have these advanced directives, so you don't really know how to gauge their care because if you don't have an advanced directive and you're intubated, sedated, and you never really told anybody on what you want done for you, how do you want your care to progress, when do you want it to, to de-escalate, then your family's making up all these decisions for you, right? And a lot of times there's a conflict of interest because some family members want to hold on to that life forever. And some family members are understand the situation and understand that if there is going to be a quality of life, it's going to be a very poor quality of life. And they know that, 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 that their family member would not want that, that yeah. kind of life. And that's kind of when they, they butt heads, you know, the sister says, I want everything. And then the brother says, no, this is our, our dad. We know what we wanted. Even though he never told us in person, he always hinted at he doesn't want these extreme measures done. And that's kind of where, where social work comes in. It's kind of where nurses come in with their conflict resolution. But it's actually really, really hard because we're dealing with someone's life. So once these measures are exacerbated, once we do everything that we can and, you know, the the plan of care is to de-escalate the aggressiveness of, of the care. There's really no going back to that because once the patient passes away, there's, there's no way we could get it back, especially if you, like, I'm not saying don't do a DNR. I'm saying that, that DNRs aren't important, but once you do a, do a DNR, I'm not saying you can't reverse it. I'm saying once you do a DNR and you put that, that thought and emotion and hospice care gets involved, palliative care gets involved, and everyone's doing their thing, it's really hard to to kind of regress from that. Yeah. So if you're going full hospice, full palliative, palliative care, you know, you could be palliative hospice for a few months, you know, because, you know, we're all, we're all different. Hospice and, and palliative care isn't like a one week, two week kind of situation to pass away. It could, it could last months. And, you know, it, it doesn't get any easier, you know, because you see your family member there for a month, we're giving them pain medication, we're making them comfortable, but they're not, they're not fully, fully passing. They're not, they're not dead yet. So like you're still grasping, grasping on, but yeah. It's really hard for, for nurses and for medical professionals to reverse that. So if you're already on a month of hospice, then you decide, hey, we want to be aggressive again. That's going to be really hard for us to do. And that's that's almost like a no turning back kind of situation, even though you technically can. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And sometimes you have patients that are, you know, DNRs for six months and then get reversed. Yeah. And when it comes to conflict resolution, it could be also as simple as safely communicating with the patient that's getting agitated, that's, you know, withdrawing from alcohol and how do you professionally manage that patient and tell them hey listen joe we have to stay in bed 
we have to kind of calm down and you know you kind of go through the motions and sometimes you'll it'll lead hey we have to call security sometimes we got to restrain them but maintain maintaining professionalism and when it comes to professionalism in the workplace like nursing is always changing and there's always different areas to improve and even though you're a new grad you're going to develop more skill as experience comes in and you're going to be able to apply that knowledge to create your own professionalism and see what works what doesn't let's just say one time patient family way you said something weird or you said sorry for your loss it came out the wrong way now you won't say it the same way now you're going to be more professional and you're going to be able to to deal with a death and dying a lot better mm -hmm. so with experience don't worry you'll go you're going to get better yeah yeah i mean i couldn't have said better myself uh next point i want to bring up is ethical thinking so this is there's no really standard for this because when it comes to ethics everyone has their own ethics there's really no right or wrong right you have a Jehovah's patient that comes in, you know he needs blood, and you know without this blood, he's gonna die, right? Yeah. But he's Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe in getting blood, so unfortunately, you got to let that patient go. Maybe they can make some exceptions where maybe plasma might, might be okay, or you know, platelets, things like that. But that's kind of where you hover on, on a borderline. Like sometimes medical professionals, especially doctors, want to, want to push for them to, to get this blood, right? Because as a doctor, as a nurse, you want to have this patient survive. You know, in a hospital, religion kind of gets almost put to the side because you're, it's about survival, right? Especially yes, if somebody comes in, you know, that coded and you're trying to bring them back, back to life. Those kind of things that aren't scientifically based or scientific or in proponents of like science and health and medicine, those kind of get pushed, pushed to the side because we have to figure out pathophysiologically what to do and how to do it, right? So unfortunately in this situation, if a Jehovah's patient comes in, he needs blood and it's the only way he's going to survive, and doctors are pushing for blood, but you know he's Jehovah's Witness, it's kind of where you gotta st stand up for, for the patient. It's kind of where ethical dilemma comes in. That's kind of also conflict resolution, right? There's gonna be a conflict, there's a conflict of interest. The doctor wanted to save his life compared to the patient that wants to abide by his religious rules. And it gets really kind of difficult to do that. Um, I did work with a Jehovah's patient before, and he didn't, did not want, so that's kind of where you gotta come in with the whole conflict resolution again. He did not want blood. But when we asked him if he wanted like plasma or platelets, he, he was okay. And like cryo, things like that, he, he, was, he was okay with. He just did not want to get the RBCs. And, you know, that's the way he interpreted his religion is that he couldn't get the full blood. He, he could get different components of the plasma, different components of like the whatever is in our vascular system. But he, he did not want the RBCs. So we kind of, you know, communicated with him, stay within the, um, with the ethical guidelines and also did a conflict resolution and, patient ended up being, being fine that I can remember. Yeah, and like those that are nurses and nursing students, this is where you learn the main principles of ethics in school when it comes to autonomy, right? So like the patient is able to make their own decisions, beneficence, justice, and non-maleficence to do no harm. And there's so many situations I could think of when it comes to ethical thinking. And of course, you got to use your judgment. You got to use your professional standard and like moral conducts and make decisions. You know, like let's just say, you have a patient that like, there was this one time where the um, OR nurses, whatever, they were kind of rushing the patient, this patient just signed the consent. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, did you talk to the doctor about this? She's like, no, I'm like, okay, she, you know, she can't sign a consent, she has to talk to the surgeon first. So of course you wanna always be an advocate for your patient in these scenarios because it's unethical to get a procedure without a doctor explaining everything, you know? Correct. So you have to you have to just be aware of like where ethics may lie. Maybe it's in family members, maybe it's, you know, the way the doctor's handling business. So just keep an open eye, 
understand what it's like, you know, the moral conducts and kind of go from there. Yeah. And it leads up to number three, adaptability. So back to my story with the whole Jehovah's Witness. So that's a good example of, of adaptability. He did not want RBCs. So we thought about other ways that we could, you know, give him more, uh, more volume, right? So fluids were out of the picture. So we had to give him something. So um, that's kind of how we solve this. So that's us adapting. He can't get RBC. So what else can, can we give him? And also with like adaptability, um, let's say your unit has um, like a lot of central line infections, you know, they have a lot of qualities, a lot of collapses. Um, you know, you got to be able to adapt to that. So maybe this is going to tie into leadership, our, our next one too. But there has to be ways to kind of fix this because unfortunately in a hospital, it's still all numbers based. We got to hit our marks. We got to hit our safety goals. We got to hit hit um, hit all these goals that are established by by the these nursing committees, right? So for like, if you have a lot of central line infections, it might be a good idea to ad adapt to it. So maybe you put in less central lines or maybe you avoid the, the femoral sticks. You could avoid um, the central line in general by maybe putting in midlines, yeah. uh, things like that. Or you could do times leadership is maybe have a nurse or have somebody that's like, for us, it could be like a break nurse or whatever, bring in like those caps for, for central lines. Kiros caps, green yeah, ones. The, yeah, so maybe place a couple in, in, in each room because there's been times where I, when I started up a, a new, a new IV, a new line for like an antibiotic or just a, a, a KVO, but I didn't have, have any of those caps. So, you know, it took me a few hours to, to, to get those caps because they were in the room. Usually they are in like those nurse servers. They're, they're there, but in this circumstance, it wasn't. And, you know, I told myself I'm going to get them, but then, you know, I got delayed with other things. So there was no caps on that patient's line for maybe like four or five hours until I yeah. came back and realized, oh, shit, I forgot the caps. Yeah, and the way I also see adaptability is workflow, correct? So... If you have issues that are bothering you in the hospital, your day-to-day -day job, how can we fix that, correct? So one, we can, you know, get on committees and we could change things, whether, you know, the the baths, just like you say, preventing infections, correct? And sometimes it could be as easy, on, as easy as on a micro level, correct? Things to change on the unit to increase productivity and workflow, meaning the way that, let's just say, the unit is organized, where things are stored. Maybe the crash cart should be in that corner where the, you know, the uh, glucometers should be. Uh, one thing that I'm going to be doing is adaptability and like right now travel nursing is I'm getting floating. I got floated for the past two shifts. I don't mind it, but it just sucks because you're just busting your ass off more. Why should you work harder if you don't have to? Mm. So if I get floated again, I'm just gonna be like, hey, listen, I feel like I'm getting floated all the time. No one else is. I understand I'm a traveler, but we should make a sheet to see when was the last time somebody floated? They're gonna so everyone, because everyone deserves a chance to float, and I don't care what they say, I'm gonna still ask for it. You know what's gonna happen? They're gonna tell them that, and they're gonna turn towards me, and be like, "All right, Peter, you're gonna float." I'll be like, "You son of it is what it is, like, Peter. I might, I might put dude. you in the freaking hole too, but I, I'm getting floated. I'm playing musical chairs on a unit, and it's just like it's getting annoying for me. So I'm gonna adapt to the situation, and on a micro level, I'm gonna try to change something. So as a nurse, just be aware of things that affect your workflow and become adaptive to it. Yeah, exactly, man. So the next one is gonna be leadership. Uh, leadership doesn't necessarily mean you like upgrading positions. Not necessarily, it doesn't always have to be you going from a staff nurse to a charge nurse to assistant manager to manager, things like that. You don't gotta go up the ladder. Like Matt said, you could start with like these, these small things. You could start doing these committees, preventing these colleagues, collapses. You could even go even on a smaller level where let's say like in huddle, uh, they're saying, hey, patients aren't, aren't getting baths, you know, and, um, and you know, you want to be a proponent of, of baths because given those chloroxine baths, those, those prevent central line infections, right? So 
instead of you not caring, you could be like, hey, Matt, you need help with a bath? I can help you right now. I got a few, I got some, I got a few minutes. They're like, okay, yeah. And then you, now you, you know, you help somebody do a bath and you know that bath got done, not necessarily for your patient, but somebody else's. So you're kind of taking that leadership step forward and helping people with, with, with baths basically, right? And you're taking initiative because like, I'm not sure if Matt does all, all his baths or not, right? I'm sure, I, I guarantee you he, he, he does, but as a, for like a fact, I don't know, right? So let me step in and be like, hey, Matt, you want to wash your patient up? I got a few minutes. Yeah. And then you know they're getting these baths done. Yeah, and that, that's a great sign of a leader. Like he takes the initiative and ability to maybe handle somebody else's stress. You know, like there is those nurses with, if you're kind of like swimming or I would say drowning instead, there is a nurse that's going to come in there. Hey, what do you need done? And they'll handle it for you. You know that nurse is a great leader, not because she's a charge, the way that she just handles the situation. She knows how to enhance patient care to help you out because of, you know, things that are happening. And I don't want to name names on the unit, but, you know, depends what kind of charge nurse is on shift. You know how things are going to go. You have a charge nurse that's straight business, that knows how to handle things, can manage stress well, and also that gives like a sense of relief for the nurses, staff nurses that are working there. If you have a bad charge nurse, you can tell how dynamics change or, you know, nurses get pissy and things like that. And that's why a, lead, a leader is very important. And you can you can take little steps in doing that. Just like you said, baths. I'm trying to think of what else you could be a leader for. You know, maybe doing the huddle or bringing up a problem that's affecting other nurses and other nurses don't want to stand up for it, right? Like there's things that are pissing somebody off. Nurses keep complaining but no one has said anything to management. So you are going to be the leader and you know you want to um, help with patient care and enhance it. You're going to, you know, say something and bring it up. Yeah, number five is collaboration. As we know, as you guys, nurses know, nursing is basically a giant collaboration of, of work, especially like in, in the ICU. Um, we collaborate on turns, we collaborate on critical thinking. Like it's a nonstop collaboration. Like imagine if, if as a nurse, you were just locked in, in a room with two patients it will be so much harder. If you don't have a good teamwork in the nursing around your unit, unit is going to it's going to fail. It's going to it's going to struggle because even doesn't matter how smart you are as a nurse and like the theory and any any care, you're always going to need help at some point. Yeah. And if you're not willing to help somebody, no one's going to be willing to to help you. That's why you got to kind of be open. Like the best way to get to know a nurse and start, you know, start to get along with them and can communicate is going to be just helping them. Like, you know, um, or you asking for help. So if you need help turning, ask a nurse, hey, can you help me turn? Because then you guys start talking a little bit and then they're more prone to ask you for help. And then next thing you know, she's drawing your, your, your blood, you're helping give, give her the bath. And it's like a giant, amazing collaboration. And same with like policies and procedures. If you want something changed, it's a lot easier to go in it as a group yeah. compared to just one nursing knocking on a supervisor's door or, or ACM's door and saying, hey, I think we should do this in, in, instead of that. You, you, it means more to management if you say, hey, Becky, Sarah, Joe, Mike, and Andy and myself, we're thinking about changing this policy because we think this is going to work a little bit better because you already have that strength in numbers. That's where collaboration goes in. And, you know, that's how you should get shit done for the most and part. And sometimes it doesn't happen where, you know, there's that burnout where nurses keep saying things to management and shit doesn't change. As a travel nurse, you're able to kind of like pick it out because you're floating you just you hear the nurses talking and sometimes you just have bad management and also when it comes to collaboration it's also on the unit but it's also between the doctor and the family and the patient and you're the you're like the um the person in between you're collaborating literally between all three individuals and you better make sure there's you know everything is asynced up 
and everything is getting smooth. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes doctors don't communicate between each other. I haven't seen it in this hospital. Of other hospitals, they don't communicate well. Well, you better be collaborating properly, updating the other doctors sometimes to making sure everything is flowing. That's more of like a day shift thing where we don't deal with that as much. But definitely on days, I believe you have to be a lot better of a collaborator with like everything that's handled. You know, there's so much more. Like there's, you know, PTOT, you know, doctors, family, not as much now with C19. You know, like you have dietaries coming in. Like it's it's freaking interesting working day shift. Yeah, they're pretty good here. But there was one circumstance where, you know, in a hospital, especially in ICU, you have different teams. You have infectious disease, you have ID, you have pulmonary, cardiac, then you have the tending, you know, renals on board. And sometimes these physicians, they're all very knowledgeable, but they have different opinions on which way the care should go. And sometimes each physician wants to be heard more than, than, than the other, or they each give their own, own perspective, you know, at, at the same level, and then the family has to decide on, on what to do, right? So if there's a miscommunication between like care, like if some physician says, hey, there's 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 hope we should still push with this aggressive treatment and then you have other physicians saying that hey maybe we should back off this isn't going to really go anywhere and they're giving the family mis mixed signals that gets complicated yes, that's also does. what goes with conflict revolution and collaboration that's probably a good time to as a night shift nurse or even even days say that hey maybe we should get a family meeting going on because what i'm reading in, in the notes between doctors they're giving different opinions and then when i talk to the family they're kind of still on the border of everything because one physician is saying this thing, the other physician is, is saying another thing, and they don't really come together and meet all and share their ideas and kind of the the level of care or the way the, the, the care should be should be going. And that's why family meetings are important because that way the family gets heard and each physician has has um, a room to talk and has their own opinion on where the care and patients are progressing. And especially with like our time now with like C19 and you, like right now in California, we, we went back to the purple zone, so families can't go back to the hospital. Communication is important more than ever, mm -hmm. and proper collaboration, because now we gotta make sure that the family is being updated with what's happening, and they're communicated, or whether they get a FaceTime with the patient and stuff. So yeah, it's freaking important, man. And face-to-face -face communication is, is hard to begin with, and now everything's done remotely. So imagine how much how much knowledge and communication people are losing because everything's done remotely. Like how many times you you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, with each other and then 10 minutes later, like, oh, I forgot to mention. Oh, I forgot to mention, right? Yep. So now remotely imagine how much how much is lost then, Yeah. right? Because, you know, you call family, you tell them a bunch of stuff and then you're like, damn, I forgot to mention this. And you don't really want, want to call them back because it's like four or five or like three in the morning and you're just like, you know, this, they can be told this later, you know? So that like a lot of stuff falls in between the cracks, especially if it's like wireless, uh, wired communication or wireless instead of face-to-face. -face. Yeah, not only that, but even like, between a nurse and a nurse mm. there's so much things that like happen that you told the nurse to do that maybe was lost mm. um when we were working those eight hour shifts in oakland where there was three nurses for the day right a lot of shit was getting missed because one nurse told you know the day nurse this and then the evening nurse didn't hear it from the day nurse they forgot and instead of it being a 12-hour shift with two nurses there's three nurses so if the other nurse the other nurse won't see you if they forgot because there's another nurse on and that yeah. kind of like it doesn't make you obligated to like handle shit. Mm. And I, I feel like there was a lot of de yeah delaying care when we worked in um in Oakland. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It does happen. Well, it falls right into positive attitude. So you guys want to maintain a positive attitude. Try to do it all the time. Like it's it's hard, but you should at least do it in a patient's room. Like you know, like yeah, you're on your third night in a row. You're exhausted. You're you're, you're tired, and you want to go home. You had a rough couple of shifts, but still, when you enter that room, you know, put put on your poker face. 
you know, be positive because if that patient, you know, all he got was negative news all day, like, hey, uh, your cancer metastasized from your liver to your lung and this is aggressive cancer, you might have about three to six months to live once you start trying chemo. Yeah. Imagine hearing that shit. And then you have a nurse that, that comes in. a bad in. mood. It's in a bad mood. Not necessarily like, like angry or, or, or like negative, but just like sad and kind of withdrawn. Like that, that patient's, you know, energy, that nurse's energy is, is going to bring the energy of the patient even lower. Yep. You know, instead of like, hey, you know, being, being, being happy and giving some kind of positivity in, in the room, even though you might not be able to cheer that patient up, um, just at least be positive. You know, don't, don't be like, you don't have to necessarily say everything's going to be okay. You still have six months, six months, like we'll figure this out. You'll get through it. You don't have to be like that because some patients don't yeah, want to hear that. That's shit. false hope, man. Yeah, don't do any of that. Yeah. Some people don't want to hear that shit. Like, you know, like just be there, care for him. You know, if he, if he cracks a joke, you know, laugh, like, like have some kind of good communication. Don't be like negative and, 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 and sad and in that kind of like manner, you know? Yeah. When I think of positivity in the workplace to maintain professionalism, I think of it in two ways. One is internal, correct? Leave, just like you said, leave your baggage at home. Don't be bringing your problems, your hardships to the, to the, to the hospital where there's already sick people that have plenty of problems. They don't want to hear your shit, nor do other nurses, correct? So leave your baggage at home, or I should say leave your baggage in the front door. When you walk out of the hospital, you go handle that back again. And then two, externally. How are you communicating with other nurses? And I hate that when I'm at work and you just sit down behind a nurse's station or you kind of walk by and it's just like negative comments. All you hear is, you know, a little negative, oh, this is shitty, that's going bad, this, oh, oh my God. Like it's just 12 hours of constant complaining. Mm -hmm. Like I hate coworkers like that because complaining doesn't bring any benefit to the situation. Yeah. Like sometimes, yeah, it sucks. I just kind of like suck it up and I'll just like say something, you know, I'll laugh around, I'll throw a joke, I'll divert my feelings because another person doesn't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. That one time I, so this, you know, back to the situation, I, was, I floated. I went back up just to get my lunch and a nurse asked me how it is. And I'm just like, you know, it's okay, it's not bad. Oh, really? Because usually when you float down there, it's bad. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, it sucks, but I ain't, I ain't gonna complain about it. It, it is what it is. Like, exactly. What, is the complaining gonna, you know, have the jab bleeding patient stop jab bleeding or stop taking a, taking a shit on you every few minutes. Like, no, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna solve it, you know? And there's those nurses that, that complain to you and they want you to complain with them, right? That's what it is, bro. Yeah. They, they, they complain to you and, and they give you all this negativity because they want to hear back. Like they get reinforced, but it's just like, I'm just like, you know, like, like, okay. Yeah. Like I know it sucks. I had that happen before, but like, I don't, if someone complains, like I don't complain back to them. Like that's, I'm not even going to put that in, in my head. Yeah. Like, yeah, it sucks turning a 300 pound patient, you know, three times a shift because they shit their, because they shit the bed. But hey, that's one of those shifts, man. Like it's going to happen to you one way or another, another sooner or later. Guess what? You can't leave the patient in shit just because you don't feel like turning him just because the third or fourth time you did it. So you get it done, get it over with, move on. Like, right? Life, yeah. life goes on. Like you're in a better situation than the patient is. Like imagine if you were not necessarily 300 pounds, but imagine if you, sh if you shit the bed. Yeah, just like, be you know how grateful. Right. You know how embarrassed you fucking be? Like, like I would be completely embarrassed. I'd be like, "Fuck, let me clean this up myself somehow, dude." I don't yeah, even help me hit the. Keep color. swearing, we're gonna get taken off YouTube here yeah, for this episode. Yeah, well, the good thing we got a Patreon, right? Yeah, exactly. We have to give um, that lady a shout out next time, next oh, yeah. episode. And like, yeah, like we fall prey to it too, of course. Like me and Peter aren't always positive. Of course, we're gonna kind of you know fall into the trap of talking shit a little bit or complaining, and then you just kind of like you gotta just be self aware of it. Like, okay. Well, like sometimes I do that at work, like I'm having a bad shift and I'm just gonna catch myself like, all right, just take a deep breath, 
you're going to get through it. You're going to clock out at 7.30. Life's going to be good again. You're going to be back home and doing what you're doing. Yeah, you know what actually helps out a lot too when I'm like feeling stressful and have that patient that just keeps keep shedding and I keep cleaning up because you're GI bleeding and it smells horrible. If they're like stayed intubated, um, like, I mean, I guess I'll just say it. You can put on some headphones, like, you know, put in one AirPod and just go clean them up. It makes things a, a, little, a little bit lighter when you can jam out some music or just put that thing in your, or put your phone in your pocket. Like sometimes when I have my intubated sedated patients, like my old hospital, and I knew they're, they liked, let's say I knew them before they were sedated in intubated, right? Sometimes we talk about music and they tell me what genres they like and, and things like that. And sometimes when, it, you know, I get the same patients they intubated, I know what kind of music they like, right? So I just put the music on in my, in my phone, put it like somewhere in a corner or in my pocket if you, if you know, if you're scared of, you know, germs on your, on your phone and just play that music. Like maybe they like classical, so just play it. It's, it makes that, it makes wiping ass a little bit easier, dude. Definitely. A little bit, a little bit lighter. For me, I, I prefer like, you know, some, some rap, some, some hype music, you know, I move around a little bit when I wash my, wash my patient up, I talk to them. Um, but yeah, that makes it a little bit lighter if you guys can, can get away with that. Definitely a night shift thing, I would say, mm -hmm. where we are, we're able to pop our headphone in and listen to some music. I don't know how management is about that during day shift. So, you know, keep with a grain of salt with what we just said there. Yeah, this definitely works for nights. Yeah, but low-key, when I do my baths, curtains closed, doors, doors closed. Like, if you maintain privacy, nobody really should be walking in on you giving a, giving a bath unless um, they obviously would knock. If the yeah. door closed, curtain closed, they know what you're doing, man. They see the sheets on the ground. They know you're giving a bath. And no one's going to really, really in interfere. But don't use two headphones. You only use one. Right. Because you, you got to be alarms aware of, yeah, alarms. Yeah. Got to be the alarms go off. Your patient fucking has no heart rate and you're fucking jamming to some, some, some Gucci man, five million dollar intro and shit. And his patient's coding on you. Yeah. One that, headphone, guys. That relax. ain't going to work out. One headphone, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So next, we're going to dive into privacy issues with nurses and social media. I'm sure you guys have heard of nurses getting fired for their social media posts. So according to the NS or sorry, NCSBN only allows medical information to be shared under three circumstances. So this is under law, you're only allowed to share information with these three ways. One is a patient has provided informed consent. So this is when the patient allows you to, you know, provide their information to a family member, somebody that's over the phone, things like that. Two, in situations where it's legally required. So certain coroner, coroner cases, things like that with like uh, potential rape allegations, child abuse, things like that. And then number three, when failure to disclose information could result in significant harm. So I can't really think of, of an example for, for that one, but maybe um, when an AIDS patient comes in into the, to the ER um, and there's people working on them, it's probably legally you have to disclose that a patient has probably HIV, right? Yeah. Because you're inserting lines, things like that. Everyone's got to know if you're putting a peripheral in, they got to know that that he's um, HIV uh, positive, right? I think that's how the law works, I believe. So Yes, that, that's know? actually a very good scenario. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it's a very double whammy sword because social media and personal life is binding closer and closer just, you know, because we're accepting it more and more. We're very more open on social media. We're posting a lot more. You saw those nursing TikToks and dancing and everybody was on the gram posting photos because, you know, COVID, I'm a frontline survivor. Look at my look at my nose and my face. It's all dented from the 95. That was huge mm -hmm. and like this year. So I feel like I, so I feel like we as nurses, we came a pretty far way because we were afraid to say anything about the hospital back in the day. Maybe that's why we were the number one trusted profession because we didn't snitch on anything, man. Mm -hmm. We were just literally lights out. No one knows even what happens in the hospital. Yeah. And now we're kind of, you know, breaking ground. And there's podcasts like, you know, a couple of nurses that were talking about this stuff openly. But of course, we got to 
maintain like professionalism mm -hmm. and we can't say everything right so just like those three circumstances we can't we can't talk about you know a specific patient like a celebrity that was there we can't talk about the actual person's name like of someone listening to this can't pinpoint a person with a specific location so if there was a car accident in austin texas and it was this person we can't say right now hey we took care of that patient because mm -hmm. then someone listening can actually look up car crash austin texas and pinpoint the actual information mm -hmm. so that's breaching hipaa because now that patient's information got disclosed without their right yeah. so you just got to be careful with what you say that's great yeah and there's four ways you can breach patient confidentially some of these are obviously very obvious but i'll go through with you guys so number one is videos or photos of patients even if they cannot be identified Number two, photos or videos that reveal room numbers or patient records. Number three, descriptions of patients, their medical conditions, and or treatments. That goes very close to what Matt said with the car accident. And number four, referring to patients in a degrading or demeaning manner. I don't even know why you would refer to, to a patient in a degrading or demeaning manner. That's just like, if you do that, like on social media, like talk shit about your patient, like, Come on, dude. Like we could, we talk shit like between, like, uh, like as nurses, like, like on scenarios. Yeah. yeah, like we, we talk shit. Like I'm not not saying patients, but like, like situation. We, we we like make fun of like because as nurses we have a different sense of humor. Like a lot of the shit that it's we dark. deal with. Yeah, like you guys gotta, gotta understand that a lot of stuff that we deal with is dark, is, is is negative. So you have to have some kind of humor to lighten that up, right? Because we do deal with a lot of death, dying, lots of. Um, poor cases, lots of people that are in poor situations, a lot of disease going on. A lot. It's usually, if you're in a hospital, you have a lot of bad news, right? Nobody ever wants to be in a hospital. And we have to, unfortunately, the best way to get out of it is kind of make jokes. Not about patients or anything, but about situations, about like random things that we do by, by accident. We got to lighten the air. We have to, yeah. So I don't know why people would be talking shit about their patient online. Yeah. Like, so, so it's like us, right? We talk about scenarios, right? But we never say... Damn, dude, John Doe was a piece of Dean, this, like, I hated him. You know, like, we're not degrading the patient. It's, you know, we're accepting why they came there. They had a GI bleed. The the cleaning of the poop is shitty, and we could talk shit about that, correct? Yeah. But we're not going to talk about John Doe, like, this is all his fault. My shift sucked because of him. You know, it's never like that. And that's that's where, you, that's where the separator is, yeah. right? Yeah, or something like, you know, uh, patient has high potassium, patient got lactulose or high ammonia my patient got, got got this you know like you know it's you make fun of that because like you already know what's gonna happen like you know there's gonna be a lot of shit involved you're not making fun of the patient you're making fun of the the circumstance that, that kind of you're in you kind of almost making fun, fun yeah. of yourself like you know like we know what's gonna happen and we don't blame the patient for having high ammonia or, or high potassium now they give them medications to make them poop it out and and things like that it's not that we're making fun of them it's making fun of the circumstances that we we got put in yeah you know because we know what we have to do we know what's what's, what's going to happen and we just do it we're just like it's just like us making fun of our, ourselves basically yeah and, and that goes into like you know what not to do with your social media account to maintain professionalism it's that one that we just talked about don't complain about like your patients in a way like just maintain that professionalism where you're not degrading the patient and you're not complaining about work exactly. I, I feel like you know we do complain about work in a way and we're doing a nonchalant with like memes. Yeah. I like posting memes about like, you know, people understand nurse, like nurses and nursing memes. It's dark humor. People understand it. And I'm laughing about that. Yeah. Like you're not going to get in trouble for posting stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And don't post any kind of pictures that refer to your patient. Don't post like an EKG strip with a patient's name on it and room number. Like, dude, are you kidding me? At least 
at least have like common sense to like cross it out or something. Or if you're gonna take a, do a TikTok, don't do it in front of a patient's room where you can see the patient's face or the patient sticking out. You know, or don't take a picture of a procedure going on or, or things like that. That should be like common sense. But yes, but sometimes nurses and people want the attention on social media. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to videotape this line insertion because it's going to look so cool on my social media. Everyone's going to take a look at it. I'm going to have, you know, 1,000 views. It's going to get shared everywhere. Yeah, it probably is. I'm going to enjoy watching it. But then I'm also going to see you get fired from, from your job, which me for me, very beneficial. I get to see a line insertion and a femoral. I get, you know. You fucking see the dick and balls and everything, you know, with yeah. the emergent femoral. Like, yeah, that's that's, that's cool, to, cool to see. But, like, are you is that something you want to put out there to, you know, um, not degrade, but destroy your whole nursing future? Yeah. Like, no, like, keep that in the hospital. Like, you should, why would you even think of doing that, you know? Like, but we do see, like, on Instagram, some people post, like, you know, different procedures. Like, Dr. Miami posts his, um, like, the breast... Um, what is it called? Yes, he does a lot of plastic yeah. surgeries. Breast like augmentation, that. things like that. It's cool. It, it's his, but in his circumstance, he's not doing it without the patient's, patient's consent. Like, these patients know that they're going to get filmed. Yes. They know. It's not like you filming it without anybody knowing. It's completely a giant HIPAA violation. And if you do that, I hope you get fired because that's completely inappropriate. So I wonder if a patient gives you a consent to take a selfie, can you take a patient with a selfie? Like, I wonder how that works. There's um, The hospital won't let you do it. The hospital does not allow you to create your own consent you can't you can't have a patient sign a non-disclaimer form about a couple of nurses dude no no i know that but like let's just say like it's just someone that you know like hey let's just take a picture and if you post that photo up are you going to get in trouble as a nurse oh yeah for the hospital for sure yeah. even even if you know the patient even if, even if the patient says says okay damn yeah because do i guarantee you there's gonna i guarantee you there's gonna be some some sketchy ass patient they're gonna say yeah and then they get a lawyer involved and they could probably sue your ass. There's probably people out there that are willing to do that. But no, you literally get in trouble for a hospital. You but, can't take anything like But that. vice versa, the patient could take a photo with you because I had that done before. Technically, they, they can't. Really? Technically, they can't. Well, let's cut this part you out just, You just probably agree to it. That's, that's all that happened. Yeah, it was like really quick. It was like something with the, like a photo for something. I'm like, sure, okay. sweet. Here, thumbs up, smile. That's really? it. Kept doing my work, yeah. I've had patients ask me to take a picture of like their their wound under like their leg or, oh, or, yeah. or their chest or things like that. But I take it off their phone and I, you know, I give it back to them. But nothing like I never had. Like I've had in my nursing, like the nursing that I used to work in, I've had um, like people ask if they could videotape me. And I always, I always say no. Like even even though it wasn't related to like patient care or anything, or like even when um when uh sometimes you know like they throw family member throws a party for the, for like the patient and they ask if you could be in a picture, a lot of times I just, I, I say no no to like you know, but that's just my preference because I don't know it's gonna come come back on me or or not you know God forbid you know life comes so, back full circle God forbid someone someone happens to the patient and the family member is complaining is is getting lawyers involved and doesn't remember. What nurse did it, but she she has a picture of of of, of you, and maybe just because maybe you had the picture, maybe maybe you had a had a good relationship with with the patient family member, and now you know it turns sour because now the family member's upset. They're not liking liking the care, not necessarily because of you, but like they don't like the other nurses or, or whatever, and they want to get social work involved and, and a lawyer, and you know their their personality flips. Now instead of being with you, they're they're against you, and they're like they have a picture of you as as a nurse, and you know taken by their photo, like oh he he, he probably done it. You know, you, like, I don't want to be in that situation where I know it's kind of like out of the box thinking, but still, I don't want to be put in that kind of situation. No, I agree with you, like, man. You know, because if they don't know who, who, who to blame and they don't have any, any evidence, they're going to try to use any evidence that, that they have. And that picture of me and their grandma is evidence of, of something, even though it might not be anything, it's still going to be you're used still, for something. You're still going to get pinpointed, yeah. yeah. You just yeah. got to be careful with mm -hmm. what you post. Like, 
if I was, you know, like just take a look at it, like our social media, correct? You know, on Instagram, couple nurses, we tried to educate, we tried to provide value. We're trying to positively influence whether it's somebody that's learning about nursing, whether it's a nursing student or a nurse. So just provide value with your content, with what you're trying to share. Nothing, everything, if it's positive, more than likely it's not going to have a bad impact. It's not going to come and get you. Yeah. But once you start posting offensive stuff, language, commenting negatively, somewhere down the line you might just get tripped up, whether it's by your, you know, I feel like the universe always comes back and karma, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah I can tell you that one for sure, dude. Got a fucking 15 inches of bowel missing. Yeah. Karma came right back around, huh? It did. Shout out to Waka Flocka. But there is like a right way, like Matt, there's a right way to use social media for like your benefit. Like you're you're, you're a nurse. You have a, the special knowledge. You're literally a well of knowledge for like science, health, wellness, because that's this is literally what you do. You know, a bunch of these species processes, you know a lot about a lot of medical things, right? So what do you probably see most commonly on a nurse's social media? Like if you think a nurse trying to promote her page, what are they usually doing in that? Well, taking pictures in scrubs, right? In scrubs, but think about minus nursing. If they're trying to expand to a different hobby, okay. what do you normally see nurses nurses doing? If you, don't care, if you can't figure it out, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be like, no shit. Go. Fitness. No how shit. Many, how many, let, me, yeah. let me say the word, no shit. Yeah, how, <laughs> many, how many nurses are, they're, they're nurses and you know they're conscious about their health and they're kind of like, they're, they're a nurse and secondly, they're like a gym addict and they work out and they promote fitness, weight loss, things so, like sounds that. Sounds like the both of us. Dude, exactly. That's just because that's just that's what we're wired to be. Like, you know, we're really conscious on like this health level because all we literally do is health and we're so conscious of it and it's so engraved in our, in our brain that we see our patients and even though you might not think about it, we do not want to be in our position. Yeah. We know we don't. Cause, and that gets literally subconsciously engraved in us. And we know that, yeah, one cookie might not destroy our lives and give us diabetes. But if I continue having this cookie consistently, I'm going to get diabetes. Right? And that's engraved in us. You don't got to think about it. That thought already comes up. Yeah, but not everybody has the willpower and the self-discipline to not continue to doing that. Because you have those nurses as well. Our example, we're just both very health conscious. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if you're a nurse and you do want to do social media, you should definitely take it in a way where you could share that knowledge with, with other people because you have a very different foundation than, than society. And if you could figure out a way to kind of bring that on your social media and, you know, not necessarily start a business, but, but start like, a, like promoting those things. Like if you have an interest in nutrition, you could promote nutrition because you have that nursing background it might not be a nutritionist background but you have some kind of background in nutrition because they take nutrition in school and you probably know more about nutrition than a typical patient or typical person in society now i'm honestly grateful for being a nurse like i've learned so much like one thing and if you look at these six skills that we talked about for professionalism basically communication is the bottom line that's the golden nugget you have to be a good communicator in nursing because you are communicating with the patient, you are communicating with the nurse, the doctor, everything is collaborative. And if your communication sucks, you might have an, you're going to have a hard time at work. Mm -hmm. And that's what like nursing outside of, you know, like the profession, it created me to be a great communicator. It made me health conscious. Like I can handle stress. I can handle multitasking. I could be more detail oriented. So honestly, even though nursing is rough and it sucks sometimes and we, you know, bitch and moan and complain about it. Like, honestly, it created me to be a very resilient individual because of nursing. Yeah, like nursing, being a nurse is like a giant wake-up call. It's like a giant slap in the face. 
like if you think of stress, like the amount of stress that I could go and go and deal in a hospital, and I look at my stress here at home, it's just like a whole different fucking level, dude. Like some people say, yeah, why are you always so relaxed? Why am I always so relaxed? Because the shit I see in a hospital stresses me the fuck out, and there's nothing that compares to that stress. Yeah. Like you know, like, yeah, you got an assignment to do. We got to record a podcast. We have so much stuff to do, but with with the website, you know, we got to do this. We got to go shopping. We, we, we got to do that. This is going on at home, and then you go to hospital, and the amount of stress you get with like a patient that's crashing is not relatable to any kind of stress outside yeah, that environment. It's, it's a huge responsibility being accountable for somebody's life. Yeah. It's fucking huge. And it's for 12 hours. And the reason why they're in the ICU specifically for what, what we're doing, our line of work is they're in bad shape. They're there because they're unstable. Something might happen any minute and it's just handed on to us. And yeah, it's this is why there's burnout. This is why you need to have that work-life balance just like we always talk about and you got to find your hobbies and your purpose because you need a creative outlet outside of nursing because if you can't manage stress well as a nurse it's going to eat you alive it really will you're not going to be able to sleep you're going to start taking melatonin maybe some benadryl like you're you're you're, cool pm yeah you're you're, maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend is going to be like what's wrong and you're just like emotionally drained and lack of energy because you can't handle anything because you've just been all your energy got sucked in into this medical field. And it's it's a freaking great and rewarding profession, but you have to learn how to unplug and you got to find balance because you got to take care of yourself first as a nurse. Yeah. I like that you brought up communication before too because like before nursing, I was, I was pretty shy, pretty timid. I mean, I'm pretty timid in general now, but not as, as much as I was, I was before because like when there's shit going down and a patient's crashing and you got to deal with family, you can't just back away and not, and not speak and not tell anybody about it. Like... Nursing, if you're a shy person, nursing is going to throw you straight in the front line. And you're going to be talking to physicians, families, like 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 clockwork because you have to. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, maybe, you know, I, I could just not bring anything up and it'll, it, it'll go away. No, it's not how it works, dude. You don't talk. You don't say what, yeah. what, what you fucked up on. You, you can't dies. sweep it underneath the rug. Yeah, you can't delay. You can't delay shit. Even like little things like labs. You can't. You have to be right there and you got you to gotta talk. And that's just, it's it was scary in, in the beginning, you know, but you know, that nursing basically broke that shell right away because like what, patients crashing, I need some patients, uh, let's say he's going pulmonary edema, you know, uh, he's fucking pink frothy sputum, I need Lasix, what am I gonna run and get the Lasix? No, you gotta be like, hey, can somebody give me Lasix? This guy's, you know, is going into pulmonary edema, he's, he's you need some, you need to take out his fluid basically. So instead of you rushing by yourself and getting this, you're staying with the patient unless he's getting Lasix for you and just things like that where you speed up care. You you have to. Yeah. You have to kind of do that kind I, of shit. I, th- I think nursing may be more straightforward where I'm very like blunt. I just, I'll tell you how it is and I don't like holding back and it feels good because I feel like I was, I pro- when I was younger, I felt like I was more passive aggressive. I learned how to deal with it and not tell somebody how I feel, but I, I didn't like the outcome. And now I just tell you how it is. I'll tell you exactly how I feel. And I, that's what nursing taught me, I feel like, mm. in these four years. Yeah, pretty cool, right? It is freaking look dope. Look back at it. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it seems like it's a lot of people just have a job and they're just going to it and they're not learning any, anything from it. Like, one cool thing about nursing, and that's why as much as I love it, I hate it. And, like, dude, every single day you're learning. Like, your knowledge is constantly adapting, your experience, like, if Peter tells you he did one situation different a year ago, like maybe his outcome is completely different now and he's handling the situation better because just years of experience. You just keep getting crafted into it. And that just and I just want to say it for all the new grads listening or anybody that wants to be a nurse, like, yeah, 
you're going to feel like you don't know shit. You're going to, you're about to take your NCLEX. You're not going to feel like you don't know shit. You're going to finish orientation. You're going to feel like, whoa, why am I here? Like, it's okay. It just takes some time because this is not your regular career. Yeah. yeah, it took you four years to learn the basics of, of nursing theory. It's going to take you another four to build up that confidence as, as a nurse. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because nursing school, it's all theory, theory, theory. And nursing is literally all hands-on, hands-on, hands-on. And it's 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 a tough career. Um, I definitely, um, when I went to nursing, I did not expect it to be like this. But, you know, hey, we, we learn and we're constantly learning. That's what's kind of cool about nursing is like you're, you're 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 constantly learning about something, right? If compared to being like an accountant or somebody that works like uh, like for the most like trades, like you kind of have one way to do something automated. Automated, you have one way to do something, and you just keep doing it over and over again. And this is like different, like yeah, you, same disease, different patient, probably gonna treat it a little bit differently than the other one. Yeah, it's a love hate there because sometimes I wish I would just have, I could just come into work and I already know like what's up and this is you know this yeah, is how it's gonna go down protocol. But now nah, like every day you go to work and you don't know what patients will have, what to expect, what's going to happen. That's just the beauty of nursing in a way. Yeah, that's cool. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We went over six ways to develop professionalism in a workplace. We also touched up on how to use social media properly without violating HIPAA and getting yourself in trouble. And thank you for tuning in. See you guys next Friday, right? Peace. Peace out.